0: This is our legacy, changing what it means to be blind in New South Wales and the ACT. And as those who are involved in causing and promoting change know, it's not easy and it often comes at a cost to the change agents. Hello, I'm Angela Coturns. And in this podcast series, you'll hear the voices and stories of people who are blind or vision impaired and how they've changed what it means to be blind in New South Wales and the ACT. You'll hear about their lives About the importance of mentoring and peer support, about the places that meant so much to them, and about some of the campaigns for change on which they worked. You'll hear memories from the 1950s to the early 2000s from some of the men and women who simply wanted to make things better. Episode 3 Shirley House. In 1957, the Association of Blind Citizens bought Shirley House, a charming old house at 11A Ethel Street, Burwood. From then on, it could expand and increase its services from an easily accessible central location. Shirley House became a hub for blind people, working and interacting with other blind people. For some, it was like a second home.
1: was actually part of, almost a part of the living space I would visit frequently ever since I can remember being really little. I
2: loved it and it was a really good, lovely space, lovely atmosphere.
3: Well Shirley House was uh, was bought in I think the 1950s uh, um, by the Association of Blind Citizens as it then was.
0: Graham Innes has been a member of Blind Citizens Australia and the Association of Blind Citizens New South Wales since the 1970s. He is committed to advocacy and peer support and was Australia's Disability Discrimination Commissioner for 10 years.
3: The members decided that what they needed was a a gathering point which was that um, they had, had an office in Rawson Place in uh, near Central Railway, uh, but it was relatively small. And what they needed was a gathering point where they could um, have activities, functions. Uh, they used to do um, craft uh, and, and, and do other training, technology training um, there, and just have a, a gathering place for people who are blind and vision impaired. Uh, and that there was a library there. They did typing uh, and other classes. And so it was bought for that purpose and named after uh, Mr Shirley, who had been a great uh, supporter of the association in the earlier part of, the, of that uh, century. Um, and it ran until the, the, about 2010 when the association committee decided that it, it was an old house. It required a lot of maintenance and um, they weren't able to uh, to keep it.
4: Uh, it- Shirley House uh, when someone was arriving with the doorbell that was well-known to us all. And um, given that it was a long building, uh, one needed to hear uh, the bell.
0: Audio clues play a critical part in the lives of people who are blind or vision-impaired, This is part of the reason that the bell at Shirley House had so much meaning. But there was also a box at the gate of the property which emitted a quiet buzz so that people could find the gate as they walked down Ethel Street.
5: It was loud enough when you got within about, uh, I'd say, 30 feet of property, about there. I mentioned it to Roy Hallett and he said, well, actually, we were thinking of getting rid of it because it was more of a blindism. I said, well, please don't.
4: it in uh, to, the, to the house. It's not one of your old your modern day um, electronic doorbells. And once the building was sold regrettably uh, there was an oversight I think on our part. No one really thought of it about whether we could take the doorbell and preserve it somewhere.
2: So Shirley House is more to do with a social sign. And there's always been this conflict with the, uh, you know, for, forever with the agencies that people, the agencies like to do, oh, in the early days it was sheltered workshops, so em- help with employment, um, rehabilitation, things like that, whereas a lot of blind people themselves would like more social interaction.
1: My brother had his 21st there. I've been to a lot of the, the fates that were on there, the stalls, raising money for the association person,
4: the the idea I had in my head at the time was Blind Citizens Australia, or NFBCA as it was then, the National Federation of Blind Citizens Australia, that was for the younger people, but Shirley House, well that was for the older people because of those who were
1: there. I've met l- a lot of peers through visits to Shirley House, uh, also the arts and crafts days on some Thursdays where people would do cane work or others, um, other craft work. Having
4: a t- workshops and functions there, I realised that the organisation certainly had a purpose and a place and um, in the end that became my second
1: home really. Some of the social activities or lunch, uh, there were many times where there would be endless hours playing cricket with a cane cricket ball on the cricket pitch that was outside and the sewing service where if I needed something if I'd broken the hem. The list goes on, there's just so many memories. We all used to walk from Burwood Station to Shirley House. That's just what
6: you did. You could have parties there if you wanted to. I had my 40th birthday party there. And any. And I used to love all the socials that they had there, like Christmas time. And then there were all the fates and market days. And I loved being the publicity officer for the fate committee because anything to do with social events, I always liked to be involved with. More so than, say, political events.
4: We used to actually have um, our a lot of Blind Citizens Australia Sydney branch meetings there from about, I guess, the early nineties on, because it was a, it was a good venue. People knew there were way around Burwood, and many of the members of Blind Citizens New South Wales, as it is. As it was more recently, and Blind Citizens Australia um, were in common. So we had a very common, very common interest. You
2: just exchange, even if it's, you know, humour or, or just um, information about how to do things or where to find information, so on. People were very willing to travel to these meetings, because, and, and it was quite long journeys or even expensive journeys for people with taxis, just to be together and just to have that. That interaction, um, yeah. Just to, so you might talk about how difficult it was to handle taxi drivers, or you might, or how to cook, or just anything that you couldn't you couldn't share with people who could see because they wouldn't understand.
3: One of the things that I I remember very fondly was that uh, on the back wall on the uh, the veranda of Shirley House there was a there was a big map, probably um, two meters by two meters. Uh, of all of the railway lines of Sydney, a raised map that you could, so you could feel um, the railway lines and you could read the Braille uh, names of the uh, stations, and. Um I used that map as did many other people who are blind or vision impaired to learn uh, my way around those railway lines and that was a very important um, thing for me in terms of my independence, my ability to um, be able to go and uh, catch a train and, and travel uh, where I wanted to in Sydney. Uh, Shirley House was just a five or ten minute walk from Burwood Station up uh, up Burwood Road and. Um, uh, and, and I used to go there. I lived in Ashfield at the time, so it was relatively close. Um, but uh, learning those train lines was, was pretty important. And going to you know, barbecues and um, uh, other activities at Shirley House and just seeing um, people who are blind or vision impaired, again, operating uh, independently, um, was, a, was a real uh, reinforcement for me uh, of, of what I could achieve.
2: I mainly worked in the library because I you know was doing minutes and you know helping with catalogues and books and things and it was just lovely.
7: The library goes back a very long way back into the uh, probably even through the uh, teens to twenties or something of the uh, last century. Obviously people were hungry for things to read, and there was a great deal of turmoil I would imagine between um, Some of the people who were members of the association and uh, the uh, institute as it then was, some of them either had worked there etc and had I think probably even lost their jobs because people they didn't want them to be members of the association etc etc and so they um, they started so well they well they then wouldn't use their library would they And, uh, or either one way or another they didn't. I think they started with finding the money for a a subscription to Progress, which was the English magazine, which had by then been established. And I think it still exists as far as I know. And then they started to expand that to, to other things. There were certainly in those days, I think a few people who, Either could not, couldn't, or would not use the library that the uh, institute was then provided because of the problems that they had had with that. But then, as time went on, they started to buy books and start a little library, and it meant that people who came in uh, to various activities, etc., or meetings could borrow books and take them home and read them and bring them back, etc. And that really suited quite a lot of people. And it expanded in this way throughout the years. And certainly by the time I became a member, I used that library quite a lot because I could just come in, take a book away and read it and bring it back, uh, rather than have how I was going to get it either through the baskets they sent out or or through the post office and all that sort of thing.
6: For the last 14 years of Shirley House's existence, I was the librarian there.
7: Although it didn't have all the books that um, the uh, Royal Blind Society's library came to have, it had quite a wide selection of books and that, that suited people particularly who were regular uh, uh, visitors to the association, to sometimes take home uh, a few volumes at a time, or a whole book, or whatever it was they wanted, just as um, people could do from their local library. And um, it was also a library in which you could browse. You couldn't browse at William Street or or at Enfield. You could browse in our library and you could discover things. They said, yeah, I'll have to read that. And uh, and uh, we continued with that library uh, until um, we had to sell Shirley House.
6: I did my very best to rescue as many of those books as I could and have them sent to Canberra so that they could become be archived into the National Library. But I think things that a lot of us didn't want to get thrown out, were unfortunately uh, disposed
7: of. We had uh, Christmas functions, we had trivia
4: nights um, that Blind Citizen Sydney branch held there.
0: Built in the garage of Shirley House was a well-equipped recording studio where programs such as Outlook were recorded, first for broadcast on 2SER-FM and later on 2RPH. It was a separate secure space equipped for recording voice and music including some popular Christmas carols.
3: Identification.
2: This is Outlook. To be broadcast on December 21st at 7.45pm.
7: Those of us who've been associated with the broadcast during the year have come together in the studio to share some Christmas thoughts in music and verse. We have Diana and Leo Braun, Janice Gaffey, Joan Neach, Vera Shaw, of course, myself, Marie Shang, and Julian Lee, without whose technical assistance this program would not be possible.
4: I was first introduced to audio trivia uh, in one of those uh, sessions, and it's, it's a great um, avenue for blind people to to um, test their their trivial knowledge of all sorts of matters uh, relating that involve sound. Um, we had many a, a meeting to uh, negotiate. Um, support services with agencies, staff, many a uh, um, protest meeting we had about various issues. And um, people just liked to go there, really, to be with other blind people, and it was a great place to go and just talk about various issues that you had. And you could go there and um, stay there as long as you liked, make yourself a coffee, really make yourself at home. Work with other people and unfortunately we've
3: lost that now and I think that's we're really feeling the pain of that now not having our own place to go to. The money gained from Shirley House uh, has been invested uh, in a trust or a foundation called the Geoffrey Blythe Foundation, named after two other famous blind people, David Blythe and Hugh Geoffrey. And so that money will uh, support activities uh, which go towards the benefit of people who are blind or vision impaired. And I'm actually uh, now one of the directors of that trust. So making sure that the the history of Shirley House continues.
5: There were a lot of I would have thought it was like an ideas place where new ideas were discussed and uh, uh, different ideas were tested on one another and we didn't have anything like that in Victoria and uh, I was quite impressed with Shirley House. I thought it was a a fantastic concept. I was sitting in my office and I had a call put through to me from uh, the National Contact Centre because they didn't know what to do with it. It was a woman who lived in Ethel Street uh, in Burwood, and she wanted to both complain and also see uh, what we could do, Vision Australia could do, about all of the braille that was being thrown out uh, from the house next door.
0: Michael Simpson, president of BCA and a long-term employee at the Royal Blind Society and Vision Australia, was the last person to turn the key in the door at Shirley House before it was sold. He shared some stories at the first convention of the BCA New South Wales division in Newcastle.
5: She was really aggrieved that this organisation was so disrespectful of this special thing called Braille um, forget the fact that it was probably the 1930 uh, Women's Weekly or the um, uh, television program from 1965 or, or whatever it was in Braille, but um, she thought Braille was just so important that it had to be preserved. So she put it all in the boot of her car and brought it down to Mitchell Street to to Vision Australia, and we also had to gently say to her, well, look, yes, Braille is important, but like print, uh, there are some things that are worth keeping and some things that are just not worth uh, worth keeping. The other story is that Kerry and I still have a piece of Shirley House. When they were cleaning the house out, uh, there was this old timber table. Two of the legs had um, broken off. Kerry decided, nah, that had a lot of history and uh, Michael and Kerry should restore this old table. I certainly wasn't um, keen on the task, but Kerry, uh, Kerry was. So we loaded the table, weighs a ton, into the back of our um, station wagon and we were dropping the keys off after locking the door finally on Shirley House. We were dropping the keys off to Barry and we told him that we had decided to take the table. And uh, not put it out the front in the with the rest of the the rubbish. And he said, "Oh well, I hope you got the uh, the middle leaf out of the table because it's an extendable um, table." The end of the story is that we did restore that table, so it does now sit in our house, and uh, it's regularly where we have dinner. And even though we restored all other parts of the table, there are some scratches and cuts and gouges in the top of the table that remind us of uh, its life as a a table at Shirley House. So there are some parts of these organisations that live on not only the physical... Um, parts of these organisations that live on, but also the memory of the individuals who've been involved with these organisations <laughs> and who continue to support our organisations into, uh, into the future.
3: There's a real benefit in having a place like Shirley House, a, a sort of a gathering point, um, and uh, wh- whether... Um, just how it's structured, uh, it's not uh, clear. What what happens in the United States is that uh, the United States are big on their, and Canada are big on their summer camps. And there are specific camps in the United States for people who are blind or vision impaired. And I think that may be a better way to... Um, transfer skills and learning and, and that sort of positive benefit than having, a, having to maintain a, a house or a, um, or a facility. And if you have a house or a facility, where do you put it so that it's um, convenient for most people uh, and how do you afford to, to, to buy it and maintain it in the Sydney property market? But I think there's a real benefit in the, in the opportunity to gather, uh, share knowledge, share information and share peer support.
0: This podcast featured the voices and stories of Sondra Wibberley, Jennifer Parry, Roz Sackley, Graham Innes, David Blythe, Lynn McGregor, Sandy Dark, Susan Thompson, Mari Shang, and Michael Simpson. It was produced by Angela Coterns and edited by Damon Sutton for Blind Citizens Australia. Theme song by Emma Bennison. Being blind can create challenges because of the way other people react to it. People who are blind do not need or welcome pity. They may appreciate help at certain times and under certain circumstances, but their lives are as varied as any other people's. They are the same, only different.
8: Cuz the winds are, changed, are blowing strong. Yeah, they're moving the mountains that